Given the fact that we missed last week's sermon, I figure I've got about an hour, right, of material to give you this morning. So buckle up. No, just kidding. Uh, We are in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to make your way there here in the next few minutes. We'll be picking up uh, primarily in verse 11 today. I've never given a serious interest to the study of medicine, which is probably something we can all be grateful for. But over the years, we've had quite a number of friends who've set out to become nurses or pharmacists or physicians of some sort. And become aware that in many of these programs at medical schools and colleges, there is a rite of passage known as the white coat ceremony. Anyone ever been part of or been to one of these these ceremonies? Now, I've I've never actually attended one, but a number of my friends have, have posted these things on social media over the years. And apparently this custom or tradition has largely been popularized in the past 30 years or so, but it's, it's spread to medical communities across the world. Every college or medical school does them differently, but as I understand it, the, the tradition of a white coat ceremony originated at Columbia University. And it came from this idea that the faculty had there that before the very first day a student set foot in the classroom, They wanted them to understand that 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 process of of studying and entering into the practice of medicine was a gift, it was a calling. And so before they started their studies, they held this ceremony, and they walked across the stage where they were handed two gifts. The first gift was a copy of the Hippocratic Oath, right? a a series of, of promises or 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 covenants or ideals that that sort of govern the practice and the calling of medicine. The second of those two gifts was a white physician's coat. And again, the idea behind these gifts was to signify that from day one, they were part of, they were being invited as participants in this medical community. They were being invited both to recognize the the seriousness, the gravity of that calling, but also that even now they were being asked to make a contribution to it. However immature, however rough around the edges they were as first-year students, they were now on their way somewhere. And so the, the gift that they were given, or these these two gifts that they were given, were, were not given as a result of an accomplishment. They didn't signify what they had already done. The gifts were given in anticipation of what they were becoming. Right? They were gifts that they were intended to grow into. I'll share that with you this morning because in a similar fashion, when we have joined the family of God, when we've come to belong to Jesus Christ, we too have been given gifts. Two weeks ago when we last met, we heard how Paul spoke of Jesus Christ in in his great glory, choosing to descend to the earthly places, to, to be with us so that he might embrace us and bring us up into his resurrection glory. And that in choosing to to bring us up with him, 
Part of that intention was to give us his giftings, to share his grace with us. As Paul wrote in verse 7 of chapter 4, to each one of us, Christ has given gifts. To each one of us, he has given a measure of grace. Again, these are not things given as a result of what we've done or something we've already accomplished. They're gifts given in anticipation of something, of a calling, of of an identity that we are still growing into through the power of his spirit working within us. So today we're, we're going to look at the nature of those gifts, what those gifts are, and how they enable us to grow up into that new identity. Returning to Ephesians chapter 4, we're actually going to start reading in 7, but we're going to give our attention primarily to verses 11 and following. Let me pray for us as we begin. Jesus, thank you for the gift of grace. It's the reason by which we have come into this family. It's the way in which this family grows. It's the way you impart gifts for our building up, our growing up, our maturing into your likeness. Pray that as we encounter your word to us, the church, this morning, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start in verse 7 because that's really where some of this train of thought begins for the Apostle Paul about gifting. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, then, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. These verses come, again, in the context of Paul describing what the church is, what this new reality of, of the people of God that, that, that Christ is establishing is, is all about. 
Paul in chapter 4 is, is going to tell us that belonging to the church, belonging to the, the people and the family of God is a new way of being. New things are happening. A new identity is being set forth. And it's primarily a new way both of being an individual person but also of being a people together. This is a new corporate reality. And so it makes sense that if, if what Jesus is all about is building a people of God for himself, that the primary way he has chosen to give gifts to build up that, that body is through people. The primary gifts Jesus Christ has given come in people-shaped packages. So Paul starts out here in verses 11 and following, and he names a kind of gift people that have been given to the church. He names apostles as one of those gifts. People given to the church to help break new ground, to take the gospel into uncharted places. Prophets who listen for and speak God's word in fresh ways. Evangelists who speak the good news and and embody that to those who have yet to hear it. Pastors that shepherd and guide the family of God. And teachers who are able to interpret and apply the word of God to that family. Paul says these five types of people have been gifted, they've been graced, they've been showered upon the family that is the church, in order to to bring that family into a new way of being. And and just out of the gate, we probably look at verse 11, and there may be many of you saying, well, these these gifts are great, but they're probably not gifts given to me, right? These, These sound like gifts imparted to seminary types, to people like Glenn and Dave, people who are in full-time Christian service. And while there is a kind of authority, there's there's a kind of of seriousness about the gifts that are listed here, I also believe that in a place like JCC, there are many who have likely been graced and given these callings. You may consider maybe the Lord has indeed given you the gift of evangelism to to share the the good news of the gospel in in a profound way through the power of his Holy Spirit. Maybe he's gifted you to be a kind of co-pastor to walk alongside people in their growth. Maybe he's gifted you to be a teacher. I just invite you as we move forward, not just to dismiss that list as, as only those who are in, in a certain role or office within the church. What becomes even clearer, though, as this passage continues, is that the gifts mentioned in verse 11 are not given to those individuals for their own benefit, for their own right. Those mentioned in verse 11 are given to the church, Paul says, for the purpose of equipping others. Christ has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers not to create a hierarchy within the church, not to wield power within the church, not to create a 
a class of professional Christians. But Paul says, in order that all God's people might be equipped. And the word equipped here has, has a range of meaning within the Greek language. It can mean to take that which is, is broken or, or in ill repair and, and to, to heal it, to restore it. It can mean to, to frame out a structure. It can mean to, to make something suitable for its intended task or purpose. To me, I, I kind of think of the work of equipping sort of like the work of an outfitter. Those of you who are into rock climbing or skiing or canoeing or hiking, these great sort of outdoor pursuits, you may very well have visited an outfitter at some point. And when you go into an outfitter's shop, right, they're, they're there to give you potentially some, some training in a, a set of particular skills you might need. They might supply you with maps. Most likely, they'll sell you equipment that's needed to get you out doing what you've set your heart on doing. But the idea, again, behind an outfitter is is they're equipping you to go out and and to have that adventure, to engage in that activity. No one goes into an outfitter shop, puts their money on the counter and says, I've got this great idea. How about I pay you to go out there and have an adventure for me? Right? There's, there's not a vicariousness there. Right? You go there so that you might receive what's needed for you to go out and participate. An outfitter sends you out into the wild. In many ways, my gift as a pastor within God's church is to equip you. It's to outfit you for works of service, Paul says, so that that you can go together with me, together as a family, we go out into the adventure and the growth and the life that God has called forth in this family. We get to practice that kind of reality this coming Thursday night when we meet together for our annual meeting. And as we set our sights on the adventure, the expedition of a new year, we recognize in a congregational meeting that that it requires each one of us being gifted, being graced to do particular things within this body. Each one of us, Paul says back in verse 7, have been given a measure of God's gift, a measure of Christ's grace, so that we might bless, so that we might heal so that we might serve one another. But if that's the case, if the gifts that God has given to us come in and through people, then to me that suggests a couple of challenging applications for us. The first we've, we've sort of alluded to already. That means that each one of us need to prayerfully discern what has the Spirit of God placed within me? What has he called me to do in the way of, of serving and using my grace, using the gift which he has given me to build up this body? But if that is part of our calling, then the backside of that statement is also the case. Not only do I need to think about where I'm meant to contribute to this body, 
I also need to be aware of how I've been invited to receive the contributions of others. I need to be aware and attentive of how Christ has graced others in this body. Right? Sometimes we're so focused on doing our own thing, exercising our gifting, setting, you know, measuring up to the expectation we've set for ourselves within this church family that we miss out on the chance to be served, to be known, even to be led by another. The point Paul is making in chapter 4 is not that we might be gifted to, to grow as an individual person. The end goal, the end result is that we might grow up together as a, as a people Look at how this passage continues in the second half of 12 and following. Paul says that Christ has given grace, he's given gifts, he's equipped each one of us for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure, the whole stature of the fullness of Christ. So that then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. If you look at the language, the images in these few verses, there's this idea of of a body growing up. Paul says that the church is like a human body that must be built up, that must become mature, that must grow into its full height. This is the whole point of our giftedness, is so that we might grow up. We are not today what we are still meant to become. There's another horizon There's there's more to this life together that Christ is calling forth. But choosing that maturity, growing into maturity, can be challenging sometimes. Reading this passage this week, it made me remember back to some good friends of ours several years ago who were attending a class at their church with their young daughter. Their daughter was in fifth grade at the time, I believe. And the class was designed to help families and their children sort of discuss and process all the physical and emotional changes that come with the onset of puberty. Now, I know just the mention of the word puberty makes all of us just a little bit uncomfortable, right? We can remember back to those years, and it's a a challenging process of, of growing into physical maturity. Well, as they were processing this with their daughter, after one of these sessions, they came home and the daughter went up to her bedroom and she burst into tears. And the mother heard her crying and she went in to talk with her. And she said, honey, what's, what's wrong? What are you feeling? And, and her daughter said, mom, I've been listening. I've been hearing what they're saying at church and I think I've come to a decision. And her mom said, well, what, what's that? What have you decided? And she said, Mom, I 
I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do this whole puberty thing. I'm just going to stay like I am now. Is that okay? And her mom sort of tried to talk her through that process and explained to her that, that our, bi- our bodies right, aren't, aren't designed for us to have a, an opt-out process in, in, in maturation. Right? This is something we, we naturally become. But she was looking for that, that escape clause. Right? I'd rather stay as I am now. Sometimes within our life together as the body of Christ, we too hold a kind of reluctance to growing up, to choosing, to embracing maturity together in, in this life of, of our family. We, we express sometimes a hesitancy to grow into the full measure of who Christ is. It's easier just to stay where we are now. Because in order for us to become a new body, to become a body that looks and acts and feels like Jesus Christ, right, we have to go through this uncomfortable stage of growth and maturation. We have to learn how all the parts and pieces of this new body fit together. And so sometimes we never make it out of adolescence. Instead, we remain in a kind of spiritual infancy. And Paul warns us against that in verse 14. He says, if if we choose to set aside the the work of, of the gifts building us up and making us mature, if we choose to forego that, then then we remain a kind of spiritual infants. And he equates infancy with instability. He says that that where we fail to grow up, we also become an unstable group of people. Think about a room of kindergarten children playing together. Imagine there's lots of energy in that room, there's lots of enthusiasm and excitement, but there's also shouting and there's pushing and there's everyone looking to get their way right away. It's not exactly a stable situation. Right? It's loosely organized chaos. It's one of the reasons I think we should probably compensate kindergarten teachers like we do professional athletes. But that's another story. Paul says here in verse 14 that when we refuse to grow up in our relationships, then we are prone to this kind of instability. Our families, our churches are, are tossed Upon every wave, every wind that changes, we're, we're blown by it. We make ourselves vulnerable to desires that are deceitful, right? that, would, that would send us in a direction that is not good for us. And if you've been part of a community or a family that is immature or unstable, right, you'll know that, that life in that place is exhausting can be destructive. It can steal life away from you. So how do you move forward? None of us wants to be stuck in a kind of juvenile complacency. But growth means being willing to admit to our places of immaturity. Growth means that as a husband and a father and a pastor who's 38 years of age, 
I need to confront the places that I am still immature, that I still fail to look like and resemble the image of Jesus Christ in my behavior, in my words, in my choices, in my desires. Right? It's, it's humbling to apologize after making a mistake. It's, it's scary to confess our weakness. But unless we're willing to, to look at our places of immaturity, right, we cannot then grow to become like the person of Jesus Christ. But when we look to him, when we come and we recognize that we've been gifted and resourced to grow up and to enter into this new season of maturity, then then we can become like the one who is our head, Paul says, verses 15 and 16. Instead, instead of being infants blown and tossed by every new teaching, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's a, an inviting, that's a, a refreshing image of what maturity looks like of what we've been called and and saved and and drawn into the person of Jesus Christ to become. Paul's saying we we essentially have a choice of of what kind of body we we want to grow into. The first image I kind of get is is the one we've just talked about. We have this incredible person in Jesus Christ, our head, who is full of grace, full of glory. He's gone into death and overcome it. He now reigns in victory, and and he's longing to pour out that grace into us, his body. But if if we choose to neglect who he is and what he can do, and his spirits work within us, then we remain a kind of bobble-headed person. We have this incredible Savior, but we remain these, these weak, sort of malnourished bodies that don't fit with the person that we belong to. Alternatively, we have the ability to match our head, to be a body that, that matches the Christ who has saved us and, and, and now lives within us. I I borrowed this other diagram from Dom Korovu. And Dom, having studied Ephesians in some depth a few years back, wrote this about this section, these, these verses. He said, Christ is the mature and complete man that serves as the standard for the body of which he is the head. Christ, then, is is who we're meant to become. He is our head in the sense that we're to be like him, we're to grow up into his image. But Dom goes on to say that not only is Christ who we're meant to become, he's our head in that respect, but as the head of our body, Christ also has sent into the members of this body gifting and grace and responsibility to to build up one another so that we might become like him. He's what we're meant to become, but he's also the source by which the body becomes that thing. 
by imparting gift to each member to do its work. And so together as the body of Christ, we're, we're a system, right? We're, we're one body growing up into our head. And as Paul says in verse 16, right, Jesus is the one who holds us together. He's the head who, who we're growing up into. And he's given each one of us something to do, a place, a grace, a gift to exercise, As we, as we wrap up this morning, what I want you to hear is not to work harder, to do more within the body. Remember, this whole passage began with, with Paul saying, to each one, Christ has given grace. Right? This is the Spirit's work through you and in you. It is a gift of God unleashed in the body through you. And so we have to be faithful with it, with it but we don't have to, to labor at it. Right? Each part, verse 16 says, is called to do its work, to be held together by Christ. Not one member sort of, of overexerting itself, overfunctioning while the rest of the members atrophy. Not some parts feeling weak or insecure or inadequate in what they have to offer. Paul says, to be mature, we need every part working together. Working together in the grace that Christ has given to us. So a couple of questions I'd send you out with this week. First of all, ask the Lord to show you where do you fit into this body, into this family? Where have you been graced and gifted and called? Where do you sense the Spirit stirring you individually? And then secondly, How can we invite Christ to to order our relationships, order the way we work and walk alongside one another so that, that all of us are gifted, all of us are built up so that the body of Jesus Christ grows into maturity? Would you pray with me into both of those areas this morning? Lord, thank you that you have given grace Thank you that through that grace we might grow up, that there is this beautiful, powerful maturity within the body of Christ that you long to walk us toward and into. But may we desire it, may we not be afraid of it, and may we push on in our relationships with one another so that you might be glorified. May we be a body that matches you, our head. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.